source for all the latest Batman news related to movies, television, merchandise, and video games. Thanks for making the Batman Universe your ultimate source for Batman news. everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe podcast episode number 84. I am your host Dustin and today I have with me... This is Melinda. And this is John. And we are bringing you the latest news for the month of March. And we have pretty much news in every category. We have some listener Q&As, including some really good questions that we'll talk about when we get to that. But as always, we will first talk movie news. So a number of different things in the movie news world, uh, as we talked about last episode, we expected Lego Batman to be coming out in March, but as it turns out, it was actually announced on February 26th, which was after the date that we recorded the last podcast. It's actually coming out in May, so that commentary that we've been promising in March, obviously, is not going to be available until at the earliest May when it's released, but it's set to release on May 21st, 2013, so just keep that in mind if you heard us say that it was coming out in March, and obviously it has not. The other news we've got on March 3rd, there is a little bit of a rumor related to the Justice League film that is supposed to set hit theaters in 2015, summer of 2015. Tino Review is reporting that Christopher Nolan will be overseeing the DC Cinematic Universe and will be producing the Justice League movie along with Zack Snyder, who may even direct the movie. They are also reporting that Christian Bale may also be returning as Batman. While this does conflict with what Nolan and Bale have said about the past Dark Knight trilogy being its own separate universe from other superheroes, and Nolan himself has said that overseeing a Justice League movie is something he thinks wouldn't he wouldn't do... This is probably the perfect way for Warner Brothers to get some excitement and positive vibes back for the Justice League movie project. Obviously, this is still a rumor, and uh, actually, while we're recording this, there's new reports that this could actually have fallen through if it was actually ever the case. I think it would be interesting to have Christopher Nolan overseeing a DC Cinematic Universe, because clearly he's done a good job at building the Dark Knight trilogy, but I think that is very much a separate beast from building the DC Cinematic Universe. I'm not saying I don't think he would do a good job with it, just that it's very different. And as exciting as it would be to see him overseeing the Justice League and Christian Bale coming back as Batman, it really would have to have a lot of answers to, well, if he was in trouble in Batman, why did he not call in the help of the Justice League? You know, why have they never shown up before? There weren't mentions of them. There weren't even references to other cities, so... It does kind of, it would raise those questions, and so I don't know how I feel about that being incorporated, as exciting as it would be. Christopher Nolan is is an amazing director as he is, and I'm a big fan of his stuff. I don't think he's the right person to oversee all the DC movies. I understand why they're trying to get him to do it, because from a money point of view, you know, he he's the the big draw under Batman. It's it's had rave reviews from from all sorts of critics and things like that. But really, if you're going to sort of try and do the 
what Marvel have done really you need someone who understands the comics knows the history has a passion for the subject which I think is why Marvel appointing Joss Whedon was such a good move because although he does divide people down the middle into love him or hate him he understands the comics he knows the history he has a passion for it and he wants to bring that history and and information to as as many people as possible and i think that needs to happen for the dc universe as well and i don't think it will under chris nolan i think that chris nolan i mean obviously a lot of people would really like to see this but i think it's more from the perspective of could we see chris nolan's take on justice league and that's really what they're looking for because he did such a amazing take on Batman. I think the problem with that is that, one, Batman's a very, very different character than any other character in the Justice League, specifically because he is the one member who doesn't have any superpowers. And there's a big difference between dealing with characters who have superpowers and dealing with people who don't. And one of the things that a lot of people have said has been a really good thing about his movies is that they, for the most part, take place in a very realistic universe. And the problem is when you introduce these superheroes, it kind of throws wrenches into different things. And if they were to actually try to incorporate the Dark Knight trilogy into Justice League, I don't think that would work at all because it would end up ruining some of the, the magic of what was the Dark Knight trilogy by, well, where was the reference to this, where was the reference to that, especially since the Dark Knight trilogy ends with such a specific ending where Christian Bale is no longer Batman, it's it's in that situation where it's like, okay, so why would he come back unless this happened before Dark Knight Rises, and if that was the case, why didn't he call in any help, as Melinda said. So I think that as great as it could be, they, they just really need to get a, a really good story, good script, and get someone who really understands the source material and holds true to that and isn't all about just making a magnificent movie that is going to sell a lot of movie tickets. On March 6th, MTV announced their MTV Movie Award nominations, and among the nominations, The Dark Knight Rises actually picked up five nominations. They include Movie of the Year, Christian Bale for Best Shirtless Performance, Christian Bale vs. Tom Hardy for Best Fight, Marion Cotillard for Best Villain, and Tom Hardy for Best Villain. So there's actually two different people who are competing in the same category for The Dark Knight Rises in the Best Villain category. Now, the award show will air on April 14th on MTV. Check your local listings for the actual showtime. But there you have it if you are interested in... Who wins these categories? Not only can you watch the show, but I'm sure if you tune in the day after the award show, we will have the results online as well. Yeah, get out, get early, get voting, whatever. Vote for Tom Hardy for Best Villain, not Marion Cotillard. Like, she was great, but I really think he did the better job. And don't, don't make the vote be split. They will both lose. All right, on March 8th, Warner Brothers announced that they have donated a number of different items to the Smithsonian Institute, including George Clooney's Batman cowl from the 1997 film Batman and Robin. They also donated Halle Berry's Catwoman suit from Catwoman, 
and among other di- various different items, including Christopher Reeve's Superman cape from Superman 3, and some of the props from Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory film. The, I guess, most interesting thing to me, at least, about the items that they donated, is that it was George Clooney's Batman cowl, because I guess that wouldn't have raised any kind of money if they actually tried to do get it out on the market, because nobody really liked George Clooney's Batman. Also, Halle Berry's Catwoman suit, Hmm, another not-so-popular movie, and they donate props from that. Superman's Cave from Superman 3. Hmm, I'm starting to see a trend here, so... I continually forget that Halle Berry's Catwoman was an actual movie, and that was even when I was working at a theater and worked opening night for it. Completely forgot that that actually came out, so... Good job on donating some stuff. Maybe next time dig a little deeper in the trunk yeah there's really just a rage like they've just found all of the crap lacking at the back in a corner somewhere covered in dust and they've just gone well, we really need to do something with it let's give it to a museum because nobody will ever 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 buy any of this junk on march 12th batman mystery of the batwoman has become available on blu-ray for the first time you so you can pick it up in stores and online currently and finally, on March 26th, DC announced a new documentary focusing on the villains of the DC Universe. They have started production on the new documentary film that is entitled Necessary Evil Villains of DC Comics. And at a number of different conventions, including WonderCon, which happened in March, fans are able to possibly participate and dress up as their favorite DC villain, and they might get featured in the film. We have the official announcement on the website. You can take a look at it. Obviously, WonderCon has already passed, but nonetheless, um, DC has declared that 2013 is the year of the villain at DC Comics, so we can expect this to be released later in the year. Definitely an interesting kind of bookend to the documentary they put out a few years ago about the history of, or I guess a year or two ago, about the history of DC Comics. Definitely something that I would be interested in watching because they do have a really compelling rogues gallery because unlike some comic book companies, their rogues don't tend to flip-flop nearly as often to the side of good. They're most of the time pretty much just straight-up evil. And Christopher Lee narrating, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, I hope that it's like the Justice League heroes of DC one they did a while ago where they look at the sort of pick up some key villains and look at them through different periods. I think that would be a really interesting documentary and hopefully it'll come over into the UK with the costume. I hope they choose someone good, not a fat man in a Harley Quinn costume. That'll just be really embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, but they tend to do that sometimes. Yeah, I know. It's awful. All right, so then moving straight over into TV news... Why didn't you buy Harley a ticket out of the bin, too? Now, now, Ernie, mustn't be too extravagant. Besides, it's cheaper to hire a new one. Too fat. Too small. Too old. No. have a 
couple of different episodes of Young Justice to go over that the final episode. Before we get into that, let's go over some of the the other news that came out. Um, it was announced on March 13th that Teen Titans Go will premiere actually in April, premiere on Tuesday, April 23rd, and new episodes are set to air on Tuesdays, and then a, a rerun or I guess a re-air will air during the DC Nation block on Saturday mornings. So that kind of makes DC Nation, again, the home for not only our DC heroes, but DC heroes in rerun format. (sighs) That long sigh pretty much just encompasses everything I feel about the Teen Titans returning. I think it's great that they are using it twice in one week, not just to fill out their schedule, but to give people the opportunity to actually watch it during broadcast. Hopefully that will generate some more advertising revenue or something that they're able to keep this show on longer if it goes on. I'm sure I can insert a sound effect of me just smashing my head against a desk. I just I looked at the t- Teen Titans look terrible. Really? You're going to replace Young Justice with Teen Titans? What stage was that a good business idea? And then to make it even worse, they're going to run it twice. So it probably will get advertising revenue, and it will probably last a damn sight longer than Young Justice, which, to me, will literally be a criminal act. I just, I, I don't understand what really the thinking behind it is, but I'm sure it will be a success somewhere if you're, like, six. So then, next bit of news we have comes on March 14th, a new poster was released for Beware the Batman, and as we are understanding right now, Beware the Batman is actually supposed to start off this summer, not late 2013 into 2014, so possibly right after Comic-Con or somewhere right around August. They've done that in the past where they've started new episodes in August on Cartoon Network, so we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, keep watching the website for details on Beware the Batman, as that is really the next show that we will actually be focusing on here on the podcast. I kind of took some time and thought a little bit about Beware the Batman, because I really really hate this cartoon styling like hands down if i were to pick a least favorite it would be anime and then this but i am going to remain optimistic about the storyline because i know a lot of times storyline can carry bad art in comics so i'm hoping that that is really really the case with beware the batman is that the stories that they are choosing to tell in this format really make me forget that i don't like this style of animation but really as it stands right now, I'm I'm just trying to be optimistic, but I'm not pinning my hopes on it. Yeah, I'm with you, Melinda. I don't like the art style that they're kind of going through it for. Um, it's that weird CGI, but we've tried to make it look like we've drawn it by hand, and it, 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 it never, ever, ever, ever works. So I don't have really high hopes for this series and i'm not entirely sure where they're going to go with it i mean the posters and things as well that we've seen where alfred's wielding guns and he's teamed up with katana who's supposedly a a bad sidekick just makes me kind of think is this going to be a kind of shock and or attempt at saturday morning cartoons 
in which that they've taken the character so far away from his origin point to create this big shock and attract teenagers who will love it but make everybody else hate it. Yeah, I'm I'm staying optimistic about the show. I am not a big fan of the CG stuff. I didn't really think that the way they demonstrated the way it could be done with Green Lantern, the animated series, was really done well. The only real good thing about the Green Lantern, the animated series, with the CG animation was the constructs worked a little bit better because it looked better than just a 2D image that we would normally see on hand-drawn. But still, the majority of that show, I think it was underused, and the detail that we did not see... And a lot of that has to do with the more detail you put into CG, the longer it takes, the more money it costs to produce. But if the whole point of switching from hand-drawn stuff to CG is the cost, you should at least try to figure out a way to make it so that the cost of the CG stuff is just as good of quality than the hand-drawn stuff. Because to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to switch over and then only be using you know, this this dumbed-down, bland version of animation that doesn't really show a lot of details. So that's my take on it. But for now, I am staying optimistic just because I am interested in seeing some of these characters that we've never seen in Batman TV shows appear, and I think that that in turn could do some really good things for, you know, multiple appearances by other villains and things like that. So we'll see what happens. The uh, last bit of news before we get into the Young Justice episodes is on March 16th. It was announced on StreamingSoon.com that Batman Beyond will be coming to Netflix streaming. As of right now, it actually is on Netflix streaming along with Batman Brave and the Bold, Justice League, and Justice League Unlimited. Those are all on Netflix streaming for those of you who pay for Netflix streaming. But that's exciting because I know that to buy that three season set i was in hmv the other day and i think it's 110 dollars for the three seasons and you really can't at least up here you can't find the three seasons of batman beyond separate or really very cheap so it's kind of a good thing that they're adding it to this so if you want to sample batman beyond and not make that commitment right away then you're able to sample and say, oh, okay, I really do like it, I'll go pick it up. At least that's how I use it, but it is not available in Canada, so. Alright, so then that's going to bring us into the last three episodes of Young Justice. First up, on March 2nd, the episode aired called Intervention. With the help of Green Beetle, Black Beetle is able to defeat Mongol and imprison him again. Uh, They discover the War World key has been stolen. While in Bloodhaven, the team return to the base and realize they need to turn their attention to saving Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle continues to boost the Reach's image by defeating Toy Man in Metropolis. On the way home, he is ambushed by Batgirl and Impulse, who act as a decoys as Zatanna and Rocket subdue him. They take him to an underground cavern in Balia, where the runaways were stored in a previous episode, and Zatanna sets about a casting a spell to free Jaime of the Reach's control. When Green Beetle intervenes, the other team members who are lying in wait themselves engage him in combat, and both Beetles are placed off-mode, and background Zatanna explain the cavern ruins had their origin in a human mystic ritual that was the cause of Jaime Scarab being placed off-mode when it first arrived on Earth. 
Basically, now both Blue Beetle and Green Beetle are now on the side of good. Miss Martian and Lagoon Boy arrive where they learn what happened, and Lagoon Boy leaves to go watch some television She's, he, as he seems upset. She explains that she missed her chance with Connor as Nightwing tells her he has gone on a date for with Wendy Harris. Back in Balia, Queen Bee reveals to Mammoth, Shimmer, and Devastation that the lights plan for the Reach, the Justice League, and the team are set to proceed on schedule. Alright, so that's the end of that episode. Not my favorite of the three episodes, but I did like what went down in the Temple in Bialya. I like the idea that the magic was able to break the the scarab, indicating that the magic is maybe not so dissimilar from from whatever tech was actually in that. I'm going to lay my cards on the table now. I, I thought these three episodes were pretty disappointing. I think this is the weakest out of all three. I watched the episode and I felt like I'd missed something, that we'd gone from Blue Beetle sort of terrorising everyone and everyone kind of going... How are we going to stop Blue Beetle? How are we going to stop Green Beetle and Black Beetle too? Oh, well, we've discovered this mystical tomb over here, and if we put them in there, and Zatanna knows magic. And I kind of just felt... I didn't. I was a bit like, sorry, what, what, what happened? When did we know about this? Who knew about it? Why did they know about it? And I just felt a bit lost through the entire thing. And it was really quite disappointing that we'd sort of had this flow through and it, it felt disrupted by this episode. Although I did like the Magan and Lagoon Boy stuff. I thought that was very, very interesting and a, a nice furtherization of their characters. I thought that this episode was... I mean, it, it seemed as if once uh, these last three episodes began, it really started to seem like they were really trying to wrap things up pretty quickly. The fact that Blue Beetle, you know, was bad for the the last couple episodes, and then randomly just, bam, he is switched back to the side of good because of this spell that Satana cast. Now, that's not to say that I'm sitting here trying to debate the fact that it shouldn't have happened. They did a good job of trying to figure out a way to wrap it up. It just felt just a little rushed as far as trying to get it to return back to the way it was to kind of make Blue Beetle not the basically the plot point for the Reach anymore. Alright, so then on March 9th, the episode called Summit aired. The Light call a summit with the Reach to discuss how their plans are advancing as the tensions between the two groups began to come to the fore. Ra's al Ghul notices the glamour charm on Tigress's neck and exposes her as Artemis, leading Deathstroke to execute both her and Kaldor. However, a hologram of Aqualad then plays, which reveals to the Reach the extent of the Light's manipulations, leaving their alliance in tatters. Aqualad and Artemis suddenly rise, and as Deathstroke turns out to be disguised, Miss Martian, the team, and Kid Flash make their entrance, leading to an all-out battle. In the midst of the chaos, the Reach Ambassador and the Brain are captured, while Aqualad defeats Black Manta and Black Beetle, mortally wounds Ra's al Ghul. However, Ubu rescues Ra's, pledging that he will be revived. Black Beetle escapes with the Reach scientist, and Vandal Savage summons Clarion to elude the team. And in the aftermath of the battle, Nightwing insists that Aqualad take over the leadership of the team, while Savage ousts the League from the War World by defeating Black Lightning, Black Canary, and Captain Marvel then uses it to flee into space. On Earth, the League present the public with the proof of the Reach's 
Duplicity and Black Beetle assumes control of the alien fleet, swearing to destroy the Earth. Now it is of no further use to them and before the Green Lantern Corps and Guardians of the Universe arrive. This one kind of felt like an unbalanced episode. The part where the summit actually took place seemed to take forever to go through, and it was a lot of back and forth, almost bravado on both of their parts, so I really didn't care for it. But once... Artemis had been revealed as having been the imposter tigress. That's where things started to pick up, and I really, really enjoyed the reunion between her and Kid Flash. I liked the last half of the episode a lot more than I enjoyed the first half, but truth be told, I didn't enjoy these nearly as much as I did some of the earlier episodes in the season. There wasn't anything super standout, with the exception of, you know, Kid Flash and Artemis finally getting to be reunited after so many episodes. But that was a soap opera thing that I like. This kind of, again, felt like they'd really rushed it through and they were trying to to wrap everything up. I was kind of hoping, and, and the suggestions that I felt through the, the, the episodes from the earlier season was that Light were going to turn against the Reach as well and we were going to sort of see quite a big showdown between them all and it would be like uh, you know an epic fight for earth survival and it, it kind of wasn't it was a bit of a, a again an, a, a real anti-climax i thought i do agree that the artemis and kid flash stuff was really nice and, and that again was something that was very strong and i think that's what's probably been strong through the entire two seasons is their ability to tell stories with their characters what i think this episode really highlights is their inability to tell action stories and it it felt like they'd hurt you know hurtled through this uh, a million miles an hour and, and now we've reached the end and it just wasn't satisfying for all the plot threads that they'd they dropped all the way through i i felt they'd you know maybe purposely misdirected us with the idea that the light is going to rebel and and try and overthrow the reach but you know if you're going to lead us down that way then make it a bit better than than what you did for the for this episode so i I was pretty disappointed the thing with this was i think that again it just felt as if they were really trying hard to figure out how they were going to be able to finish the season off in the short amount of episodes that was left there was a lot of things that, again, were very rushed, but they did a very good job of wrapping them up, so there wasn't really a whole lot of loose ends. Um, and that's pretty much all I have to say for this episode. I think the incorporation of the large number of members from the light and the incorporation of a lot of the characters from the the team of Young Justice, I think that they did a decent job of not only bringing all these members in, but having them play specific roles throughout the episode. I think that was pretty good. And then the final episode aired on March 16th. It was called Endgame. Basically, the Council of Rimbor declares that the Justice League is guilty. Superboy and Miss Martian show up with new evidence, but they are told that it's too late. Back on Earth, Aqualad and the two Beatles take on Blue Beetle aboard the Reed ship. Black Beetle destroys Green Scarab, and Blue destroys Black. However, he learns that Black Beetle has set an endgame into motion. Back on Rimbor, the council reconvenes and after some persuading, agrees to reassess the case and eventually release the League. 
around the world, 20 reach devices begin to damage the Earth's magnetic field, causing the team to have to trust Lex Luthor into using specific devices that will shut down the machines. They succeed, but Jaime discovers that a 21st machine in the Arctic is in place. Flash and Impulse arrive to find that it has already gone into cryolysis mode and will soon destroy the Earth. The two, directed by Luther, use their speed to create a vortex which draws off the device's energy, but need a further boost in order to succeed. They are soon joined by Kid Flash, but Wally's slower speed makes him a target for stray energy discharges, which apparently cause him to disintegrate. The machine is shut down, and Flash tells a distraught Artemis that Wally said he loved her before vanishing. The Justice League arrive back on Earth to be greeted by the team who inform them of Wally's disappearance. Later on, the world is finally free of the Reach, and they are set to face trial for their actions. Blue Beetle watches the Reach leave, his scarab assuring him that he is free, and he is happy. G. Gordon Godfrey starts campaigning for Lex Luthor to replace the now-resigned Secretary Sang, and Superman is not very happy by that. Impulse honors Wally's memory by taking on the mantle of Kid Flash, as Wally had asked him to do previously. Artemis rejoins the team as Tigress, unable to continue fighting as Artemis for the time being, stating Artemis was Wally's partner. Virgil joins the team as Static, and a and romance blossoms between Robin and Wonder Girl as Superboy and Miss Martian begin to patch up their relationship. Nightwing, grieving the loss of Kid Flash, takes a break from being a hero and maintains that Aqualad should remain leader for the time being with Batgirl as his assistant. The team are told that they will work out of the Watchtower side-by-side with the League. And finally, the episode aired with G. Gordon Godfrey and Asad looking on as Vandal Savage meets with Darkseid on Apocalypse. As always, ever a fan of when G. Gordon shows up, but going to the start, I really, I've enjoyed the scenes with the Council of Rimbor and their just complete bewilderment at the Justice League's refusal to bribe them and how that is actually how they're persuaded you know well if you're told that you're fair in this more people will bring your their grievances to you and you'll get more mores like i i thought that was really good the end game to me felt really easily finished the fact that oh we have all of these reach machines and lex luther just happens to show up with you know, a, something that will shut them down. Oh, okay, cool. There was never any real crisis. Closest they got to it would have been in the Arctic, but even then, you know, with Flash and Impulse running and Kid Flash eventually showing up, you knew one of them wasn't coming out. And it was probably going to be Kid Flash because he's the slowest one, and he even said it right at the start. So I, as upsetting as that was, it wasn't necessarily surprising. I liked... The end, I liked the fact that, you know, you had all of these people moving forward into a new place in their life. You had Impulse taking over for Kid Flash. You had romances starting and restarting. You had Virgil joining as Static. And if the the episode could have ended right there, right with Nightwing saying business as usual and walking out of the Watchtower, that would have been a really great ending for the series. But... And and I don't understand why they didn't do that, because by the time this aired, they clearly knew they didn't need that scene on the end with Vandal Savage meeting Darkseid. That 
that was the teaser for whatever the next season was supposed to have been. They could have cut that off and had the series end on a finale-style note rather than the cliffhanger that it did. The, the way that I felt about this episode is like the last episode of the Batman animated series, Judgment Day, which in, is that it's, it's all right, but this isn't the episode that I would have ended this series on at all, to be honest. And so I was quite overall disappointed with it, but I thought there were some good bits as well. I really thought there was a lot of good bits. I think that the ending sequence where Vandal Savage meets with Darkseid, I think the whole idea of that was they wanted to show what they would have done if they got another season. And who knows, maybe that's exactly the way it was supposed to be all along. Um, as far as the last thing that we were supposed to see in the season finale before they announced that the series was going to get cancelled. And at that point, maybe they just decided, okay, well, we're going to leave that in, but we've got to rework these other things because we still want them to know where we would have gone next. And honestly, I think that's okay because it's nice to know what they would have wanted to do next. And I think that, in my mind the way they wrapped up everything the, the the surprise was obviously Wally West disappearing or dying or whatever he did so i think that ultimately they did a really good job of throwing some surprises at you wrapping things up and then just leading you to believe okay so this is what we would have done if we had another season i don't really mind that you know they don't have another season and they had that little bit with Darkseid because it just shows that they obviously had plans. This was not them trying to wrap it up and put a nice little bow on and say, this is all we were going to do in the first place like we've seen with other shows. They were clearly stating, all right, this is what we would have done because we wanted to do this. So I think that it works, and I think that I would have really liked to see a third season and see how the team even progresses even further. So with that, that is all of our TV news. We now will go into merchandise news. Hey, Coach, and who are you? I'm Batman. Sit down. You don't understand, I'm Batman. I do, I do. Not going anywhere for a while? Grab a Snickers. Hello, good citizen. My name is Batman. You could be my assistant. Would you like that? Would you like to ride with Batman? The very first thing I want to talk about is last episode we talked about Toy Fair, but uh, we uh, mentioned that there was a number of different Batman 1960s action figures coming from Mattel, and that's pretty much the only thing we, we announced from Toy Fair, but as it turns out, we overlooked something on the website, and there is in fact a number of different things coming from Mattel that they did announce at Toy Fair, including new figures for Batman Unlimited, including a... Vampire Batman from the Batman Elseworlds storyline, Batman Beyond with removable wing pack that the fans have been waiting for, and a Damian Wayne Robin figure. That is supposed to be the next set of figures that would be like the third wave, and then also they stated that they will begin to release figures from Beware the Batman under the Batman Unlimited line, and those figures are set to be the Beware the Batman Batman figure and Beware the Batman Anarchy. So this will be one of the first times we've seen Anarchy in quite some time. Obviously, he's going to play a role in the upcoming TV show, 
Um, it would be also nice to see some other of those villains that don't necessarily get the credit that they could possibly deserve see some action figures as well. On the other side of things, the DC Unlimited figures, the stuff that is going to release that's Batman-related is they stated that in April of 2013, so this month, three figures from Injustice Gods Among Us will be released, including Joker and Batman. So we have some pictures of this stuff online. Also, some of the other items that were announced were, in addition to the Batman figures we mentioned before, also a surfing contest Batman where it's a Batman wearing surfer shorts and a surfboard. There is a TV series, Batman TV Moment 2-pack, where it includes Batman and Robin, and when you put them together, they are actually climbing up the wall, like scaling the building like we've seen before. And there's also a ton of Batman basic figures that are going to the normal Batman line, including Mr. Freeze, Joker, Riddler, Robin, and about 15 different versions of Batman. Not that crazy concept. Not that crazy of an idea since we already knew this was a lot of this stuff was coming. And then the last thing to talk about is uh, the DC Universe Club Infinite Earths figures. They did announce that in the the out of the figures that are set to come out in the coming months, on July 15th, Huntress will be released as part of that line of figures as well. Quite a bit that they are releasing this spring. That's really exciting to see. But obviously the one I am most excited about will be to get a Damian Wayne figure. But looking at some of the toys, like I just love love the detail that some of these companies actually put into creating these figures. The Movie Master sets, any of the statues, they're all really, really great. And the the ones that are coming out for Beware the Batman, you know, as much as I have already voiced my apprehension for the show, I think that, you know, given the right price point, things like that, these could actually really take off with kids. Yeah, the Batman vampire one looks really, really cool. I'm definitely going to get that one because I, I, I like that Elseworld story. I think it's a, it's probably one of the best ones out of some of the, the very weird ones. The a question I had completely... Is the Anarchy figure the one from the very short-lived 90s character? Yes. That one. Why so they make- the character is actually making being made into... A character on the upcoming TV show. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I might have to look at getting that figure. Although I'm surprised that they're adding him because he's not particularly well known. I seem to well, remember. Neither is some of the other characters that they've stated, like Magpie is going to be a character on the TV show. Professor Pig, which, yes, has been more recent, but he's not a character that we've seen a ton of either. No, he was only in the one Streets of Gotham story. Yeah. Oh, that's true. So they're sort of they're really mining his Batman's back catalogue for for villains. Then, yeah, they supposedly would be where the Batman. They have claimed that they are not using any of the villains that have ever been used in TV format before. So whether or not that actually holds true or not, we'll we'll wait and see. But I think that that's a good thing, in my opinion, just for the sheer fact that I'd love to see some things that aren't necessarily been done a gazillion times before. There's only so many incarnations of the Joker that I want to see on uh, you know, a every five-year basis. Uh, if that's the case, then I might have to go and pick these figures up if they're going to do the 
the the more obscure characters that we probably wouldn't see in a mainline Mattel series. Then moving into some of the other news from the month on March 5th, Poi News International revealed that there's a new Movie Masters pack exclusively to Toys R Us. The pack features a different version of Batman from all three of the Nolan films. The pack is available online and in stores as we speak. I've actually already picked up this as I found out that it was available in stores before this news article posted and went and picked it up right away. Um, it is available at Toys R Us for, I believe, about forty-four ninety-nine. And if you are a collector who collects the Movie Master figures, it's a must-have because it's even even the packaging is, is very well done, and it almost looks like it's a showcase of the three different Batman. It's got a trifold look to it. I saw it yesterday at Toys R Us. It's, and like I said a moment ago, all the Movie Master stuff is really incredibly well-crafted, uh, incredibly detailed, and these were no exception. Even just picking them up, looking at the box... It was it was definitely something that I will be picking up. All right, and then also on March eighth, it was revealed also from Toy News International that Target will be offering an exclusive seven pack of figures modeled off the New Fifty Two Justice League. The figures are in the same style as the figures from Batman: The Brave and the Bold line that is making its final run in the stores, but this pack is them all repainted and I guess redone to match their New Fifty Two counterparts. The pack is available for order on their website, and also it will be. It's also in stores. I've seen this pack in stores as we speak as well. I like the look of this one. I, I think it's a nice way to get all the characters slightly less than than you would normally, and I I quite like them. I th- I think they look really really nice. I mean, obviously, if you've if you've bought them before, you're probably not going to want them, but. You know, I think it's, this is probably a must-buy for for new collectors like me. All right, and then finally, March 11th, DC Collectibles announced that uh, they have a number of items coming to stores in August of 2013, including an Injustice Gods Among Us Nightwing vs. Superman action figure 2-pack. They will have a DC Comics Covergirls Batgirl statue, Batman Arkham City Nightwing statue, Batman Black and White statue by Sean Murphy, Batman Black and White statue by Raphael Grandpa. So those will all be available uh, right around August of 2013. Some of them will actually be available in July. Just be sure to check your local comic shops for the information on when these will actually be hitting hitting stores if you are interested in those pieces. Well, have a good night, Steve. You too, Frank. Any plans? Nothing special. You? Nope. Same old, same old. So then, moving straight into video game news, the big news, obviously, for the month was Injustice Gods Among Us. The battle arena continued to take place. The quarterfinals and the quarterfinal champions were announced. As of right now, the final two remaining 
And as you're listening to this, the, the, it might have actually been revealed who is the final champion. But between the two, uh, the final two, it is Superman versus Batman for the overall champion of Injustice Gods Among Us, the battle tournament that they've been having online over the past about a month and a half. So if you are interested in finding out who won, as well as watching any of the videos from the quarterfinals or the semifinals, be sure to check out the website for all the videos of the fights. i got to say, I haven't really been optimistic about this game from the beginning, but seeing some of the the videos with the fights between some of the heroes and villains, I am a slight bit more interested just because it does look really interesting, even if it is completely unbelievable that somehow Wonder Woman loses to Batman. But nonetheless, I think that I'm going to give it a shot nonetheless. I think the, the story that I found mo- most interesting about Injustice Gods Among Us was that you can actually unlock an arrow version of green arrow which i think is really interesting and i think very timely obviously considering the fact that arrow is on it's been renewed for another season and i like that obviously green arrow was used in part of the saint patrick's day marketing but still not my type of game but i'm i'm enjoying watching all of the news as it comes out for it and it may change it may be something that i want to watch be played but as of right now not so much I think they've done a, actually done a really good job of, of marketing this game. You know, obviously the fact that the, through the competition it was going to be Batman and Superman was frankly a surprise to nobody. But, you know, looking at what they can do and you've seen a, quite a different combination of moves that characters can string together, it looks like they've kind of really thought about the combat logistics behind it and how they want the characters to interact and to fight. And, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a particularly deep storyline. I think it'll be an interesting one, but I think its main appeal is going to be on a Friday evening, slinging it into your PlayStation and and going a couple of rounds between your favourite characters. And I think that's you know quite a nice thing. It's not something we've really seen before from from DC, and you can always settle a lot of arguments that way as well. And then the other video game news that we have is on March 25th, a new video game called Infinite Crisis, which will be a multiplayer online game, is set to release later this year. It is called a MOBA, which stands for Multiplayer Online Battle Arena, and it has a number of different versions of characters from the 52 different Earths, and some of the ones that they've already shown off is, in fact, Batman as the vampire Batman from Elseworlds. The official character write-up stated, Having succumbed to vampirism while hunting Dracula, Nightmare Batman's unnatural speed and strength make him one of the most formidable and terrifying assassins in the multiverse. Initially, Bruce Wayne controlled the hunger, augmenting his skills with his newly gained vampiric abilities to fight his war on crime. In time, the hunger became too great, and he brutally murdered the Joker, gorging on his blood. His control snapped. What remained was a wild killing machine, unpredictable but efficient. Nightmare Batman isolates enemies with short-term stealth and multi-target slows and can lock down vulnerable foes for the kill with his ultimate. So, 
that is one of the characters they revealed. Obviously, there's going to be a number of other characters that are going to happen, including another one that they announced was a Gaslight by Gotham Catwoman, and that is also supposed to be part of the game as well. So I think this game could be pretty interesting. It's it's supposed to release this year in 2013 exclusively for the PC, so we'll obviously be bringing more details as more details are revealed. But I I think that this could be a pretty interesting game just for the sheer fact that it's going to have all these different versions of the characters that we really haven't seen in any way other outside the comics. This is a game I would actually be quite interested in playing. I was a little disappointed when I found out it wasn't actually related to Infinite Crisis, but that's neither here nor there. The idea that different characters and different incarnations of the characters, like Justin said, that you get to play with those, and then they said play along well-known characters. That, to me, sounds like an interesting game premise, and it seems a lot more like a game that I would be interested in playing. It seems more like like a walkthrough, but it also, of course, would have the battle elements, so something a little more up my alley. Yeah, uh, if you're into things like World of Warcraft, things like that, then this is really along the same lines as as those. I've never played them, but I've told that they're addictive and very good. So if this goes along the same lines, hopefully it will take off and, and, and become very popular. Although I do question, if they're bringing this out, what's going to happen to DC Universe Online? What's going to happen? Uh, presumably they're... they're they're dumping that then. I don't know that they'll ever actually dump that game specifically because that's a Sony thing. Sony Online Entertainment is the one who's who produced the game, or I should say developed the game. And as long as they keep supporting the game, I think the game will continue. I haven't heard any, as far as updates go, as far as um, new game packs and things like that that have been released for the game. But I do know, based off of following the game on twitter that they still do interact with fans fans are still playing it it's just not nearly as popular as um some of the newer games because i mean at this point the game is two years old so i think that overall i don't think they'll drop it because it is one of those games where you just keep playing it and playing it and playing it and there's games out there that they've you know that they've done this in the past with that you know have lasted 11 years and people still are playing it on a normal basis. The biggest game that I can think of that I played for a while was StarCraft, and that game was, I mean, it was forever before they released a sequel to StarCraft, and people were still playing it years and years after it released. So even as simple as some games are, as long as it has a good fan base, I think that games can be very successful. And I I doubt they're going to drop that game. I think they're just not going to be mentioning the game nearly as much, at least from the Warner Brothers slash DC perspective. That makes sense. All right, so that is actually all of the news we have. There is no general news for this episode. So that's going to bring us straight into our listener Q&As. got a couple of emails some of them were sent a little bit earlier in the month and even though we recorded when we did some of them were sent you know very very 
close to the last time I recorded, so I apologize if it has been a while. The first one is from Terrence. He's actually from the Bat Fans podcast, and he says, Great job on podcast number 82. Enjoy the discussion on all the Batman current events. My question for you for the next podcast, is there any piece of Batman merchandise that does not exist that you would hope they make so you can buy one day? For me, I'm hoping that when Beware the Batman comes out, that they make a Professor Pig action figure. Thanks, Terrence. So I'll start off by saying that I think the Professor Pig is a great idea. There's not nothing that specifically that I'd like to see released. My hope is is a little bit more generalized. I I really want to see more of more action figures for villains that are not nearly as popular, like Mister Freeze, like Joker, Riddler, Penguin. You know, ones we've seen numerous figures for, and I think the plus side is that because Beware the Batman is going to focus on these other villains and not the mainstream villains we've seen so many times in the past, it will have a reason to have these action figures made. So, like we talked about earlier, Anarchy is going to be an action figure as part of the Batman Unlimited line done with the Beware the Batman motif. So, I have to expect that they're going to release other figures under that same line. And quite honestly... I'd rather see Beware the Batman figures as Batman Unlimited figures as part of that line because the detail on those figures is extremely great. And I would love to see, you know, some of these villains that they've said that they're going to do, like Magpie, like Anarchy, like Professor Pig, like Mr. Toad. I'd love to see these characters get action figures because this is probably one of the few opportunities these characters will ever be able to actually have the chance of getting an action figure. So that's what I would like to see. Just piggybacking on that for a second, if they made a Mr. Zaz action figure, I would be all over that. But one thing that they do make, but I would like to see a better selection of and less, sometimes less offensive selection of is Batman t-shirts and DC comic t-shirts for girls. They have a very limited selection in some stores sometimes, but it's, you know, if you are a busty girl, if you're a curvy girl, those are not going to work for you. You're really, it, just to have a better selection of t-shirts and clothing and apparel that that girls are actually interested in. It's really difficult to try to find a Batman t-shirt that's just a plain Batman t-shirt that's not Catwoman sometimes saying, like, I love my superhero boyfriend. Like, you don't, you don't really want to be wearing that. You want to be wearing something that reflects that you like Batman. So that is what I would like to see, is a better selection of female apparel. The thing that I'd like to see them do, that, although they already do it, it's not great, is... I'd like to see better, low-end, cheaper, uh, fancy dress costumes because the stuff that they produce at the moment looks is a really horrible material. It looks really horrible. It feels really horrible. And it's just not very nice to wear. And it's always quite disappointing because although on the packet they've made it, you know, really look like that superhero, when you wear it, you never look like that. Not because of your body shape and things like that, but just because of the quality of material it just looks cheap and nasty so i'd like to see them make a better range of cheaper fancy dress costumes and have more variety as well so get things not just batman and robin have people like tim drake and nightwing and and characters like that that are easily available in shops but are cheap and good as well and just leading on from melinda's comments as well for women have more accurate 
superhero costume fancy dresses because at the moment all you get is slutty Batgirl, slutty Catwoman, slutty Robin and it looks horrible and <laughs> it's just really degrading to look at and for women to wear because there are plenty of female superheroes but I don't understand this idea to deviate away from the costume so much to create sexy Batgirl or whatever it's it, bugs me and it looks ridiculous as well so that's my wish all right so next up in relation to our discussion last episode alex posted i'm with dustin on liking court of halls more than death of the family although it may not have had the highs of death of the family the way it wrapped up and the different elements it introduced to the universe put it over the top I thought the first issue of Death of the Families was one of the best single issues I've ever read, and every issue up to the last was great. However, I was very disappointed with the conclusion of Death of the Family. Not only was I disappointed that it really didn't have any repercussions, but it didn't even live up to its own title. It wasn't that I wanted anyone to die, and I was completely happy with a metaphoric death of the family but that didn't occur it was kind of like batman defeated bane at the end of broken bat arc you could make it stretch and say batman even though he didn't technically get broken he was getting broken down throughout the story getting progressively weaker mentally from battling the gauntlet of the villain and suffering from his illness by the end even before he encounters bane he goes on about how he's ready to die It would be very underwhelming if that's how the story ended, versus getting his back broken by Bane and literally being broken. Because storytelling built built it up so much to a climax reflecting the broken back title. Although that story had had a lot of great moments, if that's how it ended, the story would be much more underwhelming and not held too high regard. Although, even if it ended that way, at least it added a new villain to the mythos, but built on Tim Drake's character. Fortunately, that didn't happen. Death of the Family didn't really add anything. I'm not saying that repercussions are needed to be a good story, but it's called Death of the Family, and the storytelling built it up to be something with repercussions. Core of the Owls at least gave us a new villain. The new history of the Pennyworth family changed Dick Grayson's origins, made Batman more insecure about his status in his city, and made him more vulnerable. I'm curious what new readers thought of Batman's reasoning for not killing the Joker. I didn't like Batman telling Joker he wouldn't kill him for reasons of escalation, contradicting his reasons in Under the Red Hood of not wanting to bring himself down the darker path of committing murder. Speaking of adding things to Mythos, what are your favorite elements that were added to the Batman universe post-New 52? Thanks for another great episode. Well, as far as my favorite elements that were brought into the New 52, I would have to say I don't have a whole lot of new things that were brought into the Batman Mythos. I did think that Penguin Pain and Prejudice, which was sort of the quasi-origin story for the Penguin I thought that was a pretty good miniseries, but it could have happened either before or after the uh, New 52. It really didn't make a difference. It it just coincided with the beginning of the New 52 and kind of introduced this penguin where instead of being the mutant that we've seen, sometimes it's kind of like set him on as the, you know, the weapons dealer that we've seen more recently. It kind of defined him as that character. So I think that that's probably the best thing that I have I did enjoy, for the most part, the the history elements of the Court of Owls, but I think that it might have lasted a little bit longer than it needed to. 
but the idea of the Court of Owls and expanding the history of Gotham was really great. But I'd probably say that Gates of Gotham did more of the history elements of Gotham City for me rather than Court of Owls, even though that happened before the New 52. So those are the two for me. Mine would also be twofold. I really enjoyed the progression of the relationship of Damien and Bruce through the new Batman and Robin title. I, you know, I was insanely frustrated by it for the first six or seven issues. And then something just sort of clicked and it was like, oh, oh, I get it. Okay. And so I enjoyed the remaining issues. And one of the things that I'm hoping is actually true is that dead is actually dead in the new 52 because that would then make the loss of Damien actually as, you know, as meaningful as it kind of felt at the time. And it won't be cheapened in a year or two if they bring him back. So I hope that dead is dead. And I like that they have, I do believe they've actually stated that in some interviews and articles that, that it is a permanent thing now. And I liked that they really added a very human side to Bruce that I think sometimes he lacked in the previous universe. Probably like some of the origin stories for the villains. Liked the Penguins, Pain and Prejudice. I thought that was an interesting way of telling his sort of origin and, and how and setting him up into the, as Dustin said, setting him up into the character we have now. I also like Mr. Freeze's origin in the Batman annual. I thought that was a really interesting new take on the character. It made him a lot darker and I think in a lot of ways actually probably more interesting than he was before, but not as sympathetic. So I, I've i enjoyed those bits the most. And just to piggyback off John's comment, the other villain that I've kind of enjoyed so far is uh, the Mad Hatter, which is his origin and story has been currently being, being told in Batman the Dark Knight by Greg Hurwitz and Ethan Van Skyver as the artist. But that's something to check out if you're interested in the Mad Hatter and his origin in the New 52. It's something to check out because they have been slowly building his origin story over the, the last three or four issues. I think it's three issues. But for the most part, the character is a different take and they are explaining some of the reasons of why the Mad Hatter is as short as he is, why he deals with some of the gadgets that he does, why he has this obsession with hats why he has an obsession with Alice. They're explaining a lot of it, and I think they're doing a really good job of doing it over not just, here's an origin story miniseries, there you go. It's They're actually just telling the story, and by the use of flashbacks, are slowly explaining his origin. I think they're doing a really good job with that, so definitely check that out if you're interested in Mad Hatter. All right, next up, Dougie says, Hi guys, love the podcast. I agree with John and Melinda that Death of the Family will be a classic, but it was a shame that they had to release Grant Morrison killing Damien at the same time. It like kills what Scott Snyder was trying to do. My question is, do you all talk and meet outside of the podcast? Who do you like the most? I like Melinda, Joe, and John. I think they should have their own show and it would be really funny. I don't know how Dustin keeps his straight face. We don't meet outside the podcast. Some of us uh, attend conventions and see each other there. I have met I have met Apple, who was on previous episodes back in the day. Um, I have met Josh, Stella, Don, 
they have all attended Comic-Con, and I've, I've attended Comic-Con the same years that they have as well. Um, I haven't seen any of the staff members in a, over a year now because I didn't attend Comic-Con last year. But a lot of us are very spread out, so it's difficult for us to actually meet outside. Melinda's in Canada. I'm in Chicago. John is over in the UK with Joe and Nick, who used to be on the podcast. Stella and Don are in the mid-east coast range. Josh is down in Florida. And, I mean, for the most part, we're kind of all spread out all over the place. It's not, it's not that we're, you know, we live right next door to each other. So, for the most part, we don't meet outside unless there's something that I don't know. But we all talk to each other outside of us recording these podcasts through emails and our Facebook group that we have over on Facebook where we've been chatting with not only ourselves but also other Bat fans as well. But I would say that... For pure amusement purposes, I'd say John and Joe probably does, probably are the my favorites just for the pure amusement because I think it's probably more of the UK element for those two, but they deliver something that we don't necessarily see from a lot of other people. And that's not to say I don't like our other staff members. I just think that John is does a very good job of contradicting everything that I say, which provides good commentary, and he absolutely almost positively disagrees with Melinda all the time, which adds good elements to the show, and Joe, for the most part, he does that with the comic cast as well. I don't know who I would say that I like the most. I used to really, before I was ever involved with any of this, I used to love listening to... Zach and Zach and Josh kind of spar with each other. But on this podcast and on on the way it is now, like Dustin, there's just something unusually amusing about two British guys. There's just something that you can't you can't fake that. Their deadpan delivery just it always sounding so polite even when they're they're ripping on you. It's great. And uh, so I talked to John actually quite a bit and it's funny because the only things we actually do disagree about are Batman related things so works really well yeah thank you uh, I'm flattered that you all think I'm quite amusing um I can find you many people who don't I'm sure um <laughs> <laughs> they, they're all on my Facebook oddly enough yeah I, I I think as as Melinda said um Zach and Josh when they were together and they used to just rip it out of each other and there was Dustin, poor old Dustin in the middle kind of just going, come on we've got to kind of move it along now was always very very funny on here, people that I probably talk to most, obviously Melinda, we spend our time actually agreeing which is weird and quite misanthropic (laughs) yes, yeah (laughs) And and Dustin, obviously, I, I chat to quite a lot because I uh, send him back books for beginners and I send him this podcast and, and we have a chat and catch up. And I'm, I'm learning a lot about America through Dustin. But I, I think we all tend to get on very well, especially at summits and things like that. It's always a good laugh. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, we actually, every three months we have what we call our podcast summit 
where all of the co-hosts from all of the different shows that are produced by the Batman universe, we all get together and we kind of toss ideas around about different things we can do on the website, different ideas for specials and things like that. So even though we as a group interact here on the podcast, uh, the three of us, we all still interact with other members of the Batman universe like Stella, like Don, like Joe. We all interact with each other and still try to figure out ways as a group, as a whole, as a staff of the Batman universe, try to figure out ways to make the Batman universe better for you, the fans. So that's where we get some of the great ideas, like the blooper show originally originated from way back in the day, Nick suggesting that at one of our podcast summits, John suggested the anniversary show that was that we released earlier this year. That's where those ideas, they kind of flourish is because somebody will have an idea and they'll toss it out there and sometimes the ideas get smashed to the ground by everybody else and sometimes they end up getting the green light by everybody and then that's what you end up hearing. So we have uh, a lot of really nice discussions at those summits and it's a lot of fun sometimes too. It's just three, four hours of us all sitting around talking about not only business stuff with the website and the podcast, but also, you know, what's been going on with each other and things like that. So those are always really great, too. So that's something that you may not have known that now you do. All right. So the last comment that we have before we get into our last email also comes from Alex, and it says, I think it's a logical ex- explanation, but I don't think that he should be explaining himself to the Joker. He just told him how he hates him. Also, the way the Joker works, Batman's just challenging him to do something much worse. With this whole jester angle Scott Snyder is taking, isn't it just inferring that the Joker isn't serving him well enough and he could do better? Batman isn't above lying to the Joker, so why would he challenge him like that? After all that's happened to his family, he's just still further creating a relationship with a psychopath. It's, it isn't like this isn't the one of his first encounters with the Joker. He's been dealing with him for years. It's kind of reminded me of a kid in elementary school dealing with a bully. If he wants to continue the war with the Joker, that's fine. But it's irresponsible of him to do it when others are involved. And he's saying it while his family is possibly killing each other in the other room. So this was actually in relation to a comment that Melinda posted referencing his uh, previous comment. But I think for the most part, he does have a point there. Batman, you know, I'm not saying that Batman needs to kill the Joker, but at the same time, Batman continues to have this war with the Joker and not figuring out a permanent solution to basically stop him from doing what he's been doing. We've seen the Joker kill multiple people in multiple different storylines, and in this case... Batman is to the point where his family could be being murdered by each other because of the Joker, and he basically says, no, I'm not going to kill you because that would be bad. Well, first off, Batman doesn't... As far as I remember, without going to grab the issue, Batman doesn't know that his family are literally tearing themselves apart quite a way away as well, to be fair, in, in, a, in a vast cave system. But also, you know... The Joker has always been that contradiction for Batman. He takes everything to the extreme. He pushes Batman as far as possible because ultimately he wants Batman to snap and become like him. And the fact that he doesn't shows restraint on great restraint on Batman's side. And 
he's never been able to put finish the Joker because the only way that to finish the Joker would be to kill him. And Batman can't do that. But that's something that the Joker delights in trying to force Batman to do. And that's why I think sometimes it can be an anticlimax. But, you know, any good Joker story will have the Joker push Batman to his limits and Batman have to have a British stoic upper lip. I still maintain that I really, really like that reason that Batman gave for not killing the Joker because I think that it is a legitimate fear. And I really think that Alex says that Batman isn't above lying to the Joker. So why would he challenge him like that? I don't think he necessarily meant it as a challenge. And I, I think that after what he's been through, he might not, you know, he almost definitely was not thinking clearly, but I think that, that a big part of Batman probably feels really responsible for what the Joker is and what he's become. And I think that deep down, he probably does feel the need to save him and to make him get better. And he can't do that by killing him. And I think that it might not even be something that Batman is necessarily aware of, but I think that I, I think that it was a, a completely valid reason and a completely good way to end the story and we already know that, yeah, it's not a smart move creating a further relationship with a psychopath, but Batman doesn't make smart moves sometimes. I think the the biggest thing in my mind is that I'm not saying that the Joker, that, that Batman needs to kill Joker, but in my mind, it just didn't feel as if this story ended in a way that really made it seem as if Batman was, you know, pushed to his brink. I honestly can't remember off the top of my head if Batman did know for sure that his family was, you know, basically killing each other in the other room. And maybe that would be a different point. But the the big thing is and I and I this is an odd comparison because it's completely two different mediums, but look at the Dark Knight and when Batman's put in a position where he has to choose between Harvey Dent and, and Rachel and Joker sits there and, you know, is taunting him and taunting him and taunting him and says, you know, he tells him, you're going to break your one rule tonight. And how does Batman react to that? He literally beats the crap out of the Joker. Joker is bleeding. Joker is getting, is battered and bloodied. And in turn, Commissioner Gordon actually tries to get into the interrogation room to basically stop Batman from doing this. And Batman takes the chair and sticks it in front of the door so that Gordon can't get into the room. And to me, that's really pushing him to the edge. And what we saw in the end of Death of the Family with Batman holding him off the waterfall only for Joker to sit there and say, well, you're not going to do this anyway. And Batman says, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to do this anyway. So it's like, but what's the point of even doing it if you're not going to do it? Like, he should have just been beating the crap out of the Joker, making him, you know, hurt for what he's done. Not... I'm going to taunt you by holding you over this waterfall and you may or may not die because I'm probably not going to drop you. Like it just, to me, doesn't come across like that. But we've all sort of had that sort of anger where we've got so angry that we thought I'm going to hit something in a minute and then kind of gone. No, that's not how I have to do it. And I, and that was the feeling that I got from, from that was that, him holding him over the waterfall he'd gotten so angry and it took that moment for the joker to just go you're not going to do it are you for him to kind of go 
no, no, I really can't. I'm, I'm putting back down, and then the Joker obviously jumps off, and I, I think that's, you know, a, a rational response and something that we do see in in a in a lot of comics. I mean, Hush, where he shoots. Batman's best friend and then Batman basically beats him to within an inch of his life and he's only stopped by Gordon putting a gun to his head and saying you know if you don't stop I will shoot you so uh, you know I, th- I think that it, it, for me anyway it's it's a, continu- a natural continuation and a natural carry on point that he's gotten so angry that he's going to drop him off a waterfall and then there's that moment of, you're not really, are you? And that kind of, no, no, I've really got to not behave like that. Well, to me, the power of the story doesn't really lay in that whole interaction anyway. Like that, that's, a, that's a nice climax to the fight and blah, blah, blah. But the whole thing really lies in the fact that the next day, his whole family abandoned him. Not only abandoned him, did not seek out each other. So... That was what Joker wanted, so if Joker is watching, and it's really not that unlikely that he is, he's seeing that, and he's won, because he did break the family. And you've seen an issue since then, where they're very hesitant to go to each other. Dick especially, because he he had Joker call him out and say, you seek out other people, that makes you weak. So, to me, it's that's where the power of the story is. It's not the fight with the Joker. It's in the aftermath of it. So then the final listener Q&A that we have comes from Corbin, and he wrote into podcast at thebemuniverse.net and says, Choose, but choose wisely. I just thought that this would make a good topic. Let's assume that the rumor about Christian Bale playing Batman again is false. If you were in charge of hiring a cast, who would you choose to play Bruce Wayne slash Batman, and why? Many are pushing for Ryan Gosling, but that thought makes me throw up in my mouth a little. My personal choice would be Matt Bomber. He's got the style, class, physique, intellect required for both Bruce Wayne and Batman. It felt like he is a perfect fit. If you don't know who Matt Bomber is, he's currently on the USA Network TV show White Collar. Um, I think that Matt Bomber could be a good choice, but I think his build is completely off. He seems a little shorter than Batman should be. He also doesn't seem like he has enough muscle. And I know that you can change, an actor can change. Obviously, Christian Bale has lost an enormous amount of weight for a number of films and then put on the weight to become more muscular for other films. So it's entirely possible that that could happen, but I have not seen Matt Bomber do that in any of his movies. The one movie more recently, Magic Mike, that he was in, where he was you know, incredibly muscular in, he just didn't have the, the bulk that he needed to he needed to have to be Batman. His shoulders don't seem wide enough and things like that. But that's Matt Bomber. I'm not saying that Matt Ryan Gosling's my choice either because I think Ryan Gosling's the same situation. I don't see he has that that thinner frame and I'm not a big fan of that. I think that you need to be a little bit thicker as far as having the wider shoulders and things like that in order to actually be able to be Batman. But before I give my thoughts on who could play Bruce Wayne, what are some of your guys' thoughts? I've heard Ryan Gosling's name thrown around, and it also makes me want to throw up in my mouth. I don't like him. I have 
really never been a fan of Ryan Gosling. He kind of irritates me. So I would dispute that right away. I know he was considered a number of years ago, well, I guess only a few years ago, for Man of Steel, but Joe Manganiello, without his beard, I think would make a wonderful Bruce Wayne. And I was not sold on that until I watched an episode this past season of How I Met Your Mother where he had to take his shirt off. And the build that he has is actually just so incredibly powerful that I don't think it would be a huge, huge stretch for him to develop the muscle for Batman. So he was on True Blood, but he also plays Marshall's friend from law school on How I Met Your Mother. So he he does have the ability to switch between very lighthearted, you know, doofish things to a more serious role. So I think he he could work for both of them. According to a UK paper, Ryan Gosling's retiring from acting anyway, so he will never darken our screens with his incredibly wooden acting ever again but my choice and i kind of thought about it when when we had it and the things that i think you really need to play to do a good batman you need to be over 30 you need to be able to play bruce wayne well and you need to have an awesome chin because half the time in a batman film the chin will do the acting and and for that reason i've chosen josh demel I think it is. And he is in all three of the Transformer movies. But don't hold that against him. Because he's proven that he can do action scenes. Some of the other stuff that he's been in that I completely forget what he's done. But he can also do the emotional, intense stuff that you would... There was... Well, I'll help you out here real quick. His uh, claim to fame in the US was... He started his uh, acting career, at least mainstream acting, as one of the main characters on a TV show called Las Vegas. Right. Where he was the head of security for a make-believe casino called the Monticello. And James Caan was in that show as well. That show, in one of my favorite shows at the time when it was on, and I have some complete seasons collected on DVD, and I would say that's a good choice. Just for the sheer fact that, yes, he does have a range. I don't like his weird, I don't know what's going on looking face that he does where he like kind of like tweaks his lips together and has this weird look in his eyes. That's the only look I don't, I don't like, and we see that in some of the movies that he is in nowadays, but I think that could be a good choice. If you want to see how he would behave as Bruce Wayne, go watch Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. That would be his Bruce Wayne persona. All right, so my thoughts on who could play Batman. I think that the the one of the biggest things is that, like John said, the the actor needs to be over thirty. I don't think that the actor needs to be over thirty, just because if they do do another Batman, regardless of if it's just for Justice League or they do another trilogy. Thing is, here if the actor is over thirty, if they do three films, he's going to be pushing over forty by the time they finish the third film. And I think that could be a problem right there. So if the actor was in his mid-20s to late-20s, I think that could be quite interesting. One of the people that I think could pull it off if they did a couple of more serious roles would be Paul Walker. He, not so much about his Fast and the Furious work because that really doesn't do him any justice for the role. If you've seen the movie Running Scared, he basically is an undercover federal agent that is working for a crime boss and it's it it really shows the dramatic elements of the character 
that he could possibly play as Batman because he is obviously a character who could be undercover. For the most part, like I said, he's going to have to kind of do something a little bit different because his look is the same in every single one of his movies. I think Into the Blue was one of the few movies where he didn't have his, you know, slightly curly hair and for you know maybe 10 o'clock at night shadow of uh, stubble on his face. That was the only film that he really didn't look the same as he did in every single other movie that he's done. But that being said, I think that he could be a candidate, even though he is also probably a little bit up there in, in as far as age goes. Um, another person which really is not that big of a surprise would be uh, Army Hammer, which I know he was cast as Batman in the Justice League film that was supposed to start back in, you know, a couple years back in 2009. But Army Hammer at this point in time has actually slowly been building as a actor and has a little bit more of a status in the the world of Hollywood now because he was in J. Edgar Hoover, he was in The Social Network, and he's going to be this summer in The Lone Ranger as The Lone Ranger. So I think that for him, he has the build that you would need to have to be Bruce Wayne. His hair is not necessarily dark enough, but obviously they could change that. But most actors don't, actors, not actresses, don't like really dyeing their hair to for a specific role. I don't see that very often, so that must be something that they don't really like doing. But nonetheless, I think that Army Hammer has the right build. He's just becoming on that verge of you know having some major roles and more recognizable roles where people will start to recognize him as a, an actor, similar to what Christian Bale did when he was first brought in as Batman. He had some recognizable roles, but Batman was like his really first big, huge picture. Now, obviously, Lone Ranger is expected to be a very big film, but... I think Army Hammer is a good candidate, and I think that the people behind the idea of Army Hammer being a good candidate, as mentioned previously in other rumor mills that we've talked about, they had the right idea with that that actor as well. He was cast quite young when he was originally cast to be in that Justice League movie, so I, I think the fact that he has been cast before, it speaks very well to the fact that he may be cast again. So that is all of our listener Q&As. If you have a question that you would like answered on a future podcast, be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or leave your comments in the podcast below. Also, be sure to check out the website for all the latest other podcasts we have to offer, including some new specials. Uh, we had an April Fool's episode that released earlier in the month. We have some commentaries that we'll be posting later in the month. Obviously, new episodes of the Comic Cast. We have our first .5 podcast for the Comic Cast that will be focusing on some of the supporting characters within Gotham City, but not the, the mainstream Batman characters that we'll also be posting this month. But my, the reason I say this is if you listen to a special and you have some comments about one of our specials, we will get your question answered either on the normal podcast or the comic podcast, depending on where your question better best suits. So be sure to send us those questions as those are always greatly appreciated. With that, that is everything for this episode. Let me remind you to head over to the website for all the latest news related to everything we've talked about on this episode, including movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news, as well as everything related to the comic book world of the Batman universe. 
Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos related to the Batman universe. Also, as I mentioned earlier, check us out on the Facebook. We have a Facebook group. Just look for a Facebook group called The Batman Universe. We have a number of different fans who are active every single day on there to discuss different events that are happening within the Batman Universe, and we'd love to add you to that discussion as well. You can email us, podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, and of course you can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. With that, that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Melinda. And this is John. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Remember, only you can hear us.